Well, good morning, everyone. I'm so glad you're here as we wrap up this series called The B-Sides, where we've been taking a look at some of the kind of overlooked passages of Scripture. Because here's just our idea throughout all of the series, is that every piece and story and portion of Scripture has something to teach us. That's something that we can learn from. And so today I want to wrap up all of this series by taking a look at one last, probably overlooked, and a little bit strange kind of story in Scripture found in the book of Ezekiel. And today what I want to take a look at is a vision that Ezekiel has. It's a vision that is really mysterious. It's a little bit strange and otherworldly. In fact, we read phrases like this in it, where there are creatures speeding back and forth like flashes of lightning, where it says that these creatures have rims that are high and awesome, whatever that might mean, where it talks about a man who sort of resembles a man but doesn't. This is what we want to take a look at here today. And I really do believe that the portion of scripture we're going to be exploring, found in Ezekiel 1, really will be meaningful for all of us. And here's why. That what this vision is all about, it's really about the arrival of God. And I think that is actually what we all want. I think we all want to actually see God, to experience him, to encounter him. And that's what this vision is all about. So if you have your Bibles, open them up to Ezekiel 1 for our story here today. Now, as I said, this vision is a little bit strange, and the book of Ezekiel is a little bit strange as a whole as well. You might have noticed this if you've ever read it, and if you hadn't, there's just some really odd kind of moments in this book. In fact, at one point, God tells Ezekiel that he has to lie on his side for 430 days, and he has to eat bread mixed over this mixture of human dung. And Ezekiel's like, I don't want to do that, which I think is the normal response. So God relents, actually, and this is what God says uh, to Ezekiel. Uh, he says, all right, the Lord said, you may bake your bread with cow dung instead of human dung. Okay. I bring this up because it is a little bit of a strange book. If you were to read through that and get to that part, you might be like, what's going on here? And I share all of this because what I think ends up happening with books that are maybe a bit difficult to understand in the Bible, with passages that are a little bit mysterious, is we end up skipping them rather than wrestling with them and studying them. But I think this is the wrong approach. Because follow with me, the Bible, the Bible isn't there just to give us information. It's there to form us. And we get formed when we study, when we wrestle, when we dig deep. And so I bring all this up because today when I read the vision, after I read the vision, if you're like, I have no idea what's going on, that's okay. That's the whole thing. We want to study and explore and dig deep together. So I want to begin with Ezekiel 1, verse 1. I'm just going to read the entire chapter. It's quite long, but I want us to get a sense of what Ezekiel is experiencing. So we read this. On July 31st of my 30th year, while I was in the Judea, Judean, uh, while I was with the Judean exiles beside the Kabar River in Babylon, the heavens were opened and I saw visions of God. This happened during the fifth year of King Jehoiakim's captivity. And the Lord gave this message to Ezekiel, son of Buzi, a priest beside the Kabar River in the land of the Babylonians. And he felt the hand of the Lord take hold of him. And then this is what it says next. So far, that part's pretty straightforward. But the next part, as I read it, I want to invite you just to try to picture this. Picture what Ezekiel is seeing and experiencing. He says this, And as I looked, I saw a great cloud storm uh, coming from the north, driving before it a huge cloud that flashed with lightning and shone with brilliant light. There was fire inside the cloud, and in the middle of the fire glowed something like gleaming amber. From the center of the cloud came four living beings that looked human, except that each had four faces and four wings. Their legs were straight, and their feet had hooves like that of a calf, and shone like burnished bronze. Under each of their four wings, I could see human hands. So each of the four beings had four faces and four wings, and the wings of each living being touched the wings of the beings beside it, and each moved in a straight line, kind of forward in any direction, without turning around. Each had a human face in the north, the face of a lion on the right side, the face of an ox on the left side, and the face of an eagle on the back. 
Each had two pairs of wings, of outstretched wings. One pair stretched out to touch the wings of the living beings on either side of it, and the other pair covered its body. They went in whatever direction the spirit chose, and they moved straight forward in any direction without turning around. The living beings looked like bright coals of fire or brilliant torches, and lightning seemed to flash back and forth between them. And as the living beings darted to and fro like flashes of lightning, and I looked at these beings, and I saw four wheels. I saw four wheels touching the ground beside them, one wheel belonging to each. The wheels sparked as if they were made of barrel. All four wheels looked alike, and they were made the same. Each wheel had a second wheel turning crosswise within it. The beings could move in any of the four directions they faced without turning as they moved. The rims of the four wheels were tall and frightening or high and awesome as the NIV has it. And they were covered with eyes all around. And when the living beings moved, the wheels moved with them. When they flew upward, the wheels went up too. The spirit of the living beings was in the wheels. So wherever the spirit went, the wheels and the living beings also went. When the beings moved, the wheels moved. When the beings stopped, the wheels stopped. When the beings flew upward, the wheels rose up, for the spirit of the living beings was in the wheels. Spread out above them, the surface was like a sky, glittering with crystal. Beneath the surface of the wings of each living being stretched out to touch the other wings, and each had two wings covering its body. As they flew, their wings sounded to me like waves crashing against the shore or like the voice of the Almighty or like the shouting of a mighty army. When they stopped, they let down their wings. And as they stood with wings lowered, a voice spoke from beyond the crystal surface above them. Above this surface was something that looked like a throne made of blue lapis lazuli. And on this throne, high above, was a figure whose appearance resembled a man. For it appeared to be his waist up, he looked like gleaming amber, flickering like a fire. From his waist down, he looked like a burning flame, shining with splendor. And all around him was a glowing halo, like a rainbow, shining in the clouds of a rainy day. This is what the glory of the Lord looked like to me. When I saw it, I fell face down on the ground, and I heard someone's voice speaking to me. And this, this is the passage I want to explore here today. And as I read that, you might have had difficulty even picturing what Ezekiel is seeing. Can you imagine? Can you imagine even just trying to like draw out that, that scene? To try to like paint it or something like that? It's almost like Ezekiel is so overwhelmed by all that he sees that he struggles even with describing it. So today I want to take a look at what does this mean for you and what does this mean for me? Because I actually do believe it means something for all of us. But to help us understand this passage, to help us understand this passage, I want to begin in the beginning, which is usually a good place to start. So I want to begin with the first few verses. And I think this will really help us to understand what Ezekiel is experiencing, what the vision means, and why he is in the place that he is in. So we read this as the very first verse. It says this, On July 31st of my 30th year, while I was living with the Judean exiles beside the Kabar River in Babylon, the heavens were opened and I saw visions of God. It says that this happened during the fifth year of King Jehoiakim's captivity, and the Lord gave this message to Ezekiel, son of Buzi, a priest beside the Kabar River in the land of the Babylonians. And he felt the hand of the Lord take hold of him. So here in this passage, in this little short few verses, we actually learn three things. We learn who Ezekiel is, we learn what his identity or his job is. We learn where he is. And then we also learn kind of what his likely kind of state of mind would be. So I want to explain those three things. I want to explain where Ezekiel is, who he is, and his state of mind. Okay? So first, where is Ezekiel? Ezekiel is really clear that he is sitting next to the Kabar River in Babylon. And so since, since this is an Old Testament story, and since I'm also the successor kind of of Larry, I thought it would only be appropriate to begin today with a map in ode to Larry, because when he preached, there was not a map, and I felt like we just, we need a map then, that's what I think. So today I want to show you a map of where Ezekiel is. 
And here you can see, there's Babylon and there's the Kabar River. And you can also see though, where Israel is. Israel is 2,700 kilometers away. Okay, so this is a pretty far, uh, pretty far away from where Ezekiel is from. So he's sitting next to this river in Babylon. We actually know also when this was wrote. We can actually give you a very specific date because we have a lot of records actually from the Babylonian period. So when you correlate them, we know that Ezekiel actually experienced this vision on July 31st, 593 BC which is kind of cool to know, that he actually experienced all that he shared about 2,616 years ago, minus a few weeks. So we know where Ezekiel is at, that he is sitting next to the Kabar River in Babylon. We know that it's in, you know, 593 BC, but we also know a little bit more about Ezekiel. We know who he is. We know that he is a priest. The passage is really clear. It says this, the Lord gave this message to Ezekiel, son of Buzi, a priest. Now, to be a priest in that day and age, this wasn't something that you chose. This wasn't something that you kind of applied for. This is something you were born into. It was passed down through family, through family, through family. And this is really important to grasp because what it meant then, what it meant then was that being a priest was really core to your identity. This was like the family trade, the family calling, the family ministry. We don't have this idea of things being passed on generation to generation the same today. For many of us, our jobs aren't really kind of tied to our identity. It's not true for all of us. Obviously, being a pastor, that's kind of tied to my identity, or Krista being a midwife is part of hers. But it would have been even more strongly so for Ezekiel, that being a priest was really a part of his blood. This was his lineage. This was his heritage. This was something that he would be taught from his family and that he would be expected to teach those coming after him, that being a priest was really tied into who he was. But what we also know that happened during his lifetime is that the center of the priesthood was destroyed, that the temple in Israel was destroyed. And we can't overstate how damaging and devastating this would be to the actual Jewish people. For us in our day and age, we just don't get it. It would be sort of like for Americans if the White House was burnt down to never be rebuilt. But even that is a far, far cry from what the regular Jewish people would have experienced. That for them, the temple was the center of their religion, their politics, their economics. It was the center of everything. That when the temple was standing, it was a sign that God was with them, that God was for them, that God had not forgotten them. And Israel was really all attuned to the fact that the temple was the center of God's space, that this is where God dwelled. So for the temple to be destroyed, what this would do was send real shockwaves through all the Jewish people, and especially a priest like Ezekiel that it would have just rocked him. So what we know about Ezekiel is we know he's in Babylon. We know that he is a priest. We know that he would actually be damaged by the thought of the temple being utterly destroyed. And then what we also know is a little bit of his state of mind. And we can do this from some inferences, from some guessing, from some really good understanding of the context that likely where Ezekiel is at right now as he is sitting next to this river in Babylon, that he is likely in a place of deep doubt, distress, and likely even depression. We can say that he's in a place of deep doubt, distress, and likely even depression. Because imagine what Ezekiel has gone through. Imagine that map that I put up, if you remember it. That he was dragged 2,700 kilometers from his home. Right? He was dragged from his people, from his place. Imagine the abuses he suffered on the trip to Babylon. Right? The Babylonians were not kind. They were cruel, vindictive, hurtful people. 
right? And they would have made sure that as Ezekiel is being dragged towards Babylon, the entire time what they've reminded him is just this, that your God has lost. You have lost. There is no hope for you. That what the Babylonians were known to do was to try to condition all of their slaves and the people they dragged back into realizing that Babylon was the biggest, the best, and the greatest. And you have to think, you have to think that as Ezekiel is being dragged there, all he has is like memories of death and of people being hurt and all sorts of horrible, awful things that he's experienced. That I do not believe it would be a stretch to say that Ezekiel must be in a damaging and a difficult place. In fact, what we know historically, what we know historically is that the Babylonians had actual monuments that they would drag their prisoners through to make sure that they knew that they weren't kind of in Kansas anymore, that they weren't in Israel anymore, that they were in the land of Babylon and its power and its God. In fact, as Ezekiel would have been dragged towards Babylon, he would have gone through eight massive gates. When I talk about massive gates, I mean like massive. I mean like things people had never seen. One of these gates was over a mile long and 50 feet high. And some of these gates become very well known. Um, In fact, you might have heard of one of them before. It's called the Gate of Ishtar in Babylon. This was built in Ezekiel's time. And so what we can see here, I'm going to show you some reconstructions of what Ezekiel might have seen. And these gates that they would be drawn through, these eight different kind of areas, they would have all symbols reminding anybody who is dragged through these gates that they are in the land of Ishtar, they are in the land of Babylon's gods, they are in Babylon's control and power. So I think it's really easy for us to understand where Ezekiel might be at, that he's likely in a space where he feels kind of forgotten by God, where he feels maybe abandoned, where he just feels like things are not going well because they aren't. And I really don't think that this is guessing because the psalmist actually tells us of the mood in Babylon. Listen to what uh, one of the psalms speaks and how the psalmist writing in Psalm 137 talks about the mood and talks about the tone, talks about the posture and the place that people are at in Babylon. Writes this, he writes this. Besides the rivers of Babylon, we sat and wept as we thought of Jerusalem. We put away our harps, hanging them on branches of popular trees. And for our captors demanded a song from us. Our tormentors insisted on a joyful hymn. Sing us one of those songs of Jerusalem. Listen to what the psalmist says. But how can we sing of the songs of the Lord while in a pagan land? I think this is exactly what Ezekiel would be feeling. How can I sing songs of joy when I'm in a pagan land? How can I have hope when I'm in a land that is dominated by Babylon and other powers that I'm under their control? I think Ezekiel would be in a very difficult, raw, doubting, hurtful space. And here, here I want to pause for a moment. Here's where I think we can actually kind of relate to Ezekiel. That even though, as I said, that this story is, uh, you know, 2,000 plus years old. I think we can relate to Ezekiel. Because I think what we can relate to is that sometimes we go through spaces where we might feel exactly what he is feeling. Where we feel a little bit forgotten or abandoned by God. Where we feel like God is just gone. Remember, Ezekiel believed that the temple was the center where God is at. And all of a sudden, the temple is gone and he's dragged to a foreign land with foreign gods. He must feel just utterly abandoned. He must feel like God just isn't there. Maybe you felt that too. Maybe you felt that at some point. You just feel like God isn't there. Maybe you've cried out to God and said something like, God, are you even watching? Are you even aware of what I am going through? That as the psalmist says, they sat by the rivers of Babylon and wept. But maybe to update this for our own modern language, maybe where you felt kind of abandoned or forgotten, it wasn't by the river in Babylon, but maybe it was by like a hospital bed. Maybe it was by, you know, a phone call that's come. Maybe it was by a divorce papers as you sat and wept or an empty house or whatever you might be going through. I think many of us, 
Many of us can relate to some of the feelings that Ezekiel must be feeling of just wondering, where are you, God? Where are you, God? What are you doing? Are you even aware of what's happening? And so what I want to do now is I want to pursue and see what does God do when we're in those spaces? The question I want to pursue isn't what should we do when we feel forgotten by God. The question I want to pursue is what does God do What does God do when someone feels forgotten, when someone feels kind of abandoned, when someone feels even maybe that they aren't seen anymore, sitting by a river all alone? What does God do when we're in those spaces? And for that, I want to go back to the story. So what we see with this story is that Ezekiel feels forgotten. We know he's a priest. We know that his life has been totally upended. He's sitting by this river, probably weeping, just like that psalm says. All right? And then what do we read? We read this. We read that the hand of the Lord took hold of him. And then Ezekiel tells us what he sees, and he gives us all of these really vivid descriptions of what he experiences. He says, as I looked, I saw a great storm coming from the north, driving before it a huge cloud that flashed with lightning and shone with brilliant light. There was fire inside the cloud, and in the middle of the fire glowed something like gleaming amber. And from the center of the cloud came four living beings that looked human, except that each had four faces and four wings." And then he continues trying to describe this vision and experience that really is indescribable. And at the end, he kind of says, spread out above them was a surface like the sky, glittering like crystal. Beneath the surface, the wings of each living being stretched out to touch the other wings. And each had two wings covering its body. As they flew, their wings sounded to me like waves crashing against the shore, or like the voice of the Almighty, or like the shouting of a mighty army. It's like Ezekiel doesn't even quite have the words to describe what he is experiencing. He says it's kind of like this, or it's like that, or it's like this. And Ezekiel describes to us the vision that he experiences. And then it ends with, and this is what the glory of the Lord looked like to me. And when I saw it, I fell face down on the ground, and I heard someone's voice speaking to me. So what do we make of this vision? We know Ezekiel's in a rough place. We know he's feeling in a forgotten place. We know that everything has been upended for him. But what does this vision mean? What I'd like to share with you, what I'd like to suggest to you is just this, okay? That the message to Ezekiel, okay? That the message to Ezekiel when he's in a forgotten, hurtful, difficult place, the message to Ezekiel isn't in the vision. The message is the vision. I want to say that again and then explain what I mean, okay? That the message to Ezekiel isn't in the vision. That the message is the vision. That the message to Ezekiel isn't about all the details of what he saw. That the fact he saw anything is the point, That I honestly, I honestly, if you asked me to interpret all that Ezekiel experienced, I wouldn't be able to do that for you. There's so much going on. He even has this trouble describing it. I don't know what every single verse of that vision means. But what I do know, without a shadow of a doubt, is that Ezekiel experienced something from God. That's what the vision means, that Ezekiel experienced something from God, that while he was in Babylon, a space that God wasn't supposed to be, a foreign land under foreign gods, Ezekiel experiences the arrival of God, that the meaning of this vision and the meaning of this passage isn't in all the details of the vision, it's in the fact that Ezekiel has a vision at all, it's in the fact that God shows up when he feels forgotten, it's in the fact that God shows up in foreign places, it's in the fact that God can show up even in Babylon of all places. So in the most distressing situation that Ezekiel has experienced, what happens? God shows up and reminds him that he is there with him. And I think, I think if we focus in on all the amazing and vivid details of the vision, we can miss the overarching big point that the fact that Ezekiel had a vision at all is a reminder to him that God is with him, that God can show up, that God has not forgotten him. 
that as I said at the beginning with this, that the message to Ezekiel isn't in the vision, the message is the vision. It's the fact that he had an experience of God that matters while he's sitting next to the river Kabar in Babylon. So what does this mean for us all here today? What does this mean from this kind of strange and vivid vision? Well, here's just my main point that I want to share with you here today from this passage is that God can show up in foreign and forgotten places. That God can show up in the spaces where we are most unlikely to expect him to show up. That God can show up when we feel utterly forgotten and abandoned. That God shows up when we need him the most. That's what happens to Ezekiel. While he's sitting next to the river and weeping and unsure, God shows up with a vision that reminds him, that reminds him that God is with him, that God is for him, that God has not forgotten him. That's the point of this vision. It is this amazing experience where God reminds Ezekiel that he is there, that he is holy, that he is in charge, and that he is with him. So what's my main point today? It's just simply this, that God shows up in foreign places, or to put it differently, that there is no space or place where God can't show up, arrive, and remind us that he is with us. That there's no space or place where God can't show up, arrive, and remind us that he is with us. I mean, I am telling you, Ezekiel never expected to see God in Babylon. Ezekiel never expected that sitting next to the river in Kabar, he would have a vision and experience like this. Ezekiel never thought that God would arrive then and there. I mean, what, what did the psalmist say? They said, we can't sing songs to God in this place. We just sat next to the river and wept. But yet Ezekiel, Ezekiel is reminded by God that he is with him. And I think that this is good news. I think it is good news to know that no matter where you are at, no matter what you are going through, no matter what you are experiencing, that God can and does show up even when we least expect it, even when we think we're in a space that is God forgotten, that's when God shows up. That's what Ezekiel experienced. That after being dragged 2,700 kilometers away from his home, through gate after gate after gate that said uh, that the gods of Babylon were bigger and better than Yahweh, that's when God shows up and says to Ezekiel, I am here, I am with you, and I am for you. That's what this vision means. It is a reminder of God's faithful presence with Ezekiel. And I think it's a reminder for us that no matter what you are going through, God's faithful presence is also with you. So what do we do with this here today? Practically, what does this mean for us? Well, today, I want to share with you at least what this story means for me. How this story, this ancient story, really connects with my personal story here today. So I want to share with you a little bit about where my life is at and also where it is heading into and how this story here today gives me hope. Because here's the reality for where our personal kind of life situation is at between our family at home. That right now, we are about to kind of step into what is quite likely the most difficult season our family has gone through in quite a while. As many of you know, my wife is becoming a midwife and she is killing it. It is awesome. This is her calling. This is her gifting. This is what she believes she is absolutely geared to do. She just wants to help moms and babies and bring life into the world. This is a beautiful thing and I'm just so like, proud of her and excited for her. The flip side of this, though, is that her schooling, her schooling to be able to become a midwife, seems to be the most unnecessarily burdensome and difficult at points. Because what she has to do, as many of you know, is she has to move away to Kitchener-Waterloo for another six months. She's already been living there for three months, and she has to move back starting tomorrow, starting tomorrow, back for another three months. And I have to tell you, I have to tell you, I am... I'm kind of dreading this. I am not looking forward to this at all. We've had her home all of August, which has been so great, but to have her move back to Kitchener-Waterloo, to have her move back there and away from the family and just where we get to see her guaranteed one day a week. 
She gets to come home on Thursdays at 6, guaranteed till Friday at 6, but because this is how her school works, she has to attend a class from 9.30 to 12.30 on every Friday on her day off, and then she has to write papers, and then she has to do prep work for clinic and laundry and all of that. It's just a really, really brutal and rough schedule. And so I'm just really kind of in a space of not looking forward to that. On top of that, as you know, right, like school's starting up, so that means for me, I'm just thinking about how the fact, like, I got to get kids all off to school, I have to be making lunches again every day, I have to just really kind of manage everything at home while she's in Kitchener-Waterloo. And in the midst of all this, I don't know if you've ever felt this, I'm just feeling a little bit overwhelmed by the future that hasn't even happened yet, right? I'm not sure if you've ever experienced that, where you kind of look out into the future and you look out into all this before and you feel overwhelmed, you haven't even hit it yet, and that's kind of where I'm at. I'm just not, I'm just not loving the fact and thinking about the fact that Chris has to move back to Kitchener-Waterloo for another six months. And I know, I know my personal situation, I know my personal situation is not yours, and I know many of you are actually struggling with much more difficult things than this. But here's how Ezekiel's story connects with mine today, and I hope that it'll remind you that it can connect with yours. Because what this story reminds me is that in whatever spaces we find ourselves in, even when we feel like God might have forgotten us, even in the most difficult spaces, God shows up. That's what this story reminds me, that even in the most difficult spaces, God shows up. So for me personally, as I'm looking forward to the future, just thinking about trying to survive it and kind of get through it all, I'm reminded of the fact that God shows up in spaces just like that. That God will be there for me and he'll be with you in whatever it is that you are facing. What this story should remind us of is the fact that God shows up in the least expected, most needed times. That's when God shows up, in the least expected, most needed times. So I don't know what you're going through. I don't know as you look into the fall if you're excited, if you're like hopeful, or if there's some trepidation like there is for me. But what I want to remind each and every one of us of is that whatever is in our future, there is the promise that God does show up when we need him in the least expected, most needed moments. That's what we see in this passage, that as Ezekiel sat by the river, as he was just overwhelmed by all that he has gone through, God shows up with a vision and a reminder that he is for him, that he is with him, and that he has not forgotten him. So today, I want to remind you, whatever you are going through, that God is with you and he wants to show up and arrive in your life as well. I don't know what it is you might be walking into. Maybe it's starting school again. Maybe you feel a little bit nervous about that. Maybe you're transitioning to high school or to university or college for the first time. Maybe you're just a little bit worried about that. Be reminded that God shows up in those places. Maybe as you get back into work and back into kind of a normal rhythm of things, you might be feeling like overwhelmed or unsure. Maybe you have a difficult workplace. Please be reminded that God shows up in those spaces. Maybe you're going through some really difficult things. Maybe there's some health challenges, a divorce, lawyers, I don't know, financial problems. Please remember that God shows up in those spaces because that's what we learn in this story, that if God can show up in Babylon of all places, he can show up anywhere and he can show up in your life and he can show up in mine. So today, what is my main point? My main point is that God shows up in unexpected places, that God shows up when he is most needed, that God shows up anywhere and he does this to remind us that he is with us. And so my challenge today, my challenge is this, that whatever you are heading into this week, Whatever is before you, whether that's just school starting up, whether it's a, you know, a spouse moving to KW like it is for me, whether it's appointments and challenges, whatever it is that you're going through, here's my challenge for you this week. Would you hold on to the reminder and would you hold on to the reality that God shows up when we need him in the spaces that we feel forgotten, that God shows up and he does not let us go. He reminds us of his presence, of his love. That's what he does here with Ezekiel. He shows up in a space he's not supposed to be. God's not supposed to be in Babylon, yet God shows up. 
So whatever you're walking into, that maybe you feel a little bit alone, you feel maybe a little bit forgotten, please know that God is with you. He does not forget you. And that God loves to show up and surprise us with visions and experiences and encounters in his arrival that remind us of his presence. So that's my challenge to you, is to hold on to hope in whatever you're facing, remembering, remembering that God can show up there too. Let's pray. God, I pray for anything that is before us, I pray, might we be aware of your presence? Might we see and experience you? Might we have encounters like Ezekiel had? God, as we move into the fall, might we continue, God, to just experience all that you have for us? God, we are just so reliant on you. We need your arrival. We need you to show up in our lives. So I pray for each and every one of us. Lord, would you show up? Would you remind us of your love and your presence? Would you walk with us? And would you guide us? And I pray this all in the wonderful name of God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.